Welcome to the Caregiver's Toolbox, tools for everyday caregiving. We provide education and information on senior care topics. Here's your host, Ryan McGinnis. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Caregiver's Toolbox, tools for everyday caregiving, where we give you information and education on senior care topics. My name is Ryan McAniff, and I am here with Janet, and we're going to be talking about the two different types of private home care services you can receive. First and foremost, Janet, how are you today? I am great. School's getting out. That means fewer buses and an easier commute. Absolutely. I'm a happy camper. When people ask me that, I try to say I'm on the right side of the ground, you know, like... (laughs) I can't complain that much. That's I, right. I remember I had a neighbor that uh, once told me when I was a little kid, she was like, you know, no matter how bad you have it, if somebody else out there has it worse. So that is true. Don't don't go around complaining to every Joe, Dick, and Harry. There you go. So anyways, you know, with, with private home care, and this might not be the longest podcast in the world because it is pretty concise, the types of services we can provide. Um, there are two different types of private home care services under the umbrella of private home care. Um, and the first one we're going to talk about is hourly care. Um, in which it sounds, you know, very straightforward services, hourly care, you pay for the hours of care that you're getting, an hourly rate. Um, and you're paying generally at a minimum of three or four blocks of hours at a time, all the way up to 24 hours a day. So, Janet, what are your kind of words of advice with hourly care? Well, usually with hourly care, if it's um, if they need someone around the clock, and I mean awake around the clock, that needs to be hourly because yep. the person has to be awake. And usually um, services are provided in like two 12-hour shifts, eight to eight or something like that. Um, where we get to shorter hours, sometimes it's for the day, um, the uh the elderly person lives with the family and they go off to work and they want someone from nine to five, something like that. Yeah, we call that while at work hours. Yeah, you have that. There are some people that feel they just need to get mom started in the morning. So getting mom started is where it gets gray as to what that definition means. And some people will say, well, can I have them for just an hour? And that you can have a whole conversation as to why that is rarely realistic. But um, that's usually how the hourly breaks down. And during that time, it's personal care, it's meal prep. Um, sometimes it's taking someone out to appointments or things like that. And that's generally what it's under. Absolutely. And as hourly care, you are the customer that's paying privately for these services. So you have the ability to work with your agency and finding the right hours that fit for you and ideally will fit for a caregiver in the agency. Because of this situation, unlike getting certified home health care from a VNA or a certified home care company, you don't get to really pick and choose the days that somebody comes. Somebody's going to be out there three days a week, and if they can't make it one day, they'll come the next. While with a, when you're paying out of pocket for this, you certainly have the ability to, um, if you're not happy with the service you're getting, you can go to another private agency and try to yeah. find what you're looking for. So, Or even just move the hours around. Because like you say, with, with the VNA, they could be coming to give your grandmother a bath at 3 in the afternoon, and that just doesn't fly with grandma. She always takes a bath at 9. Absolutely. And so one of the things Janet brought up that I wanted to briefly talk about was kind of the overnight care of hourly care. Um, with hourly care, the caregiver's as a general rule of thumb, are expected to be awake throughout the whole night. Now, 
We all know in the wee hours from like 2 to 5 a.m., those are prime hours where all of a sudden you're reading a book and you can fall asleep. And one of the things I think as a customer you need to speak with your agency about is there's a difference in, in the agency world. There are three different types of nighttime shift in, in my eyes. There's when somebody's completely asleep, when somebody's quote unquote resting their eyes, and then when somebody's fully awake. And we've had situations actually in all three of those situations where the family is completely okay with somebody being able to actually sleep at night, meaning they can get on the couch, get horizontal, and take a nap for a few hours, but they still want that hourly care just in case something happens. Um, We've had situations where somebody's allowed to doze off if you will rest your eyes and and kind of the expectation when we're we talk to a client about that um is that the caregiver is within hearing distance like if a bell rings they still have to be alert enough to wake up from their doze and be there for the client baby monitors a baby monitor or or my personal favorite because there's no way you can sleep through it is they're sitting in a chair next to the person sleeping and that person can reach over and grab the caregiver and lightly shake them to wake them up for whatever they need. Um, But every situation is different. We've had families where it's imperative that the caregiver is awake throughout the night and doesn't get to rest their eyes, quote unquote. And we've had caregivers and, and, excuse me, clients that have said, you know what, it's okay. We understand that that might happen and Um, we can move forward with that. So I think the reason I bring that up is to communicate with the agency that you're looking at and realize that, you know, uh, all agencies are a little different. Like when my mom was sick with cancer, my dad completely understood and was like, if they fall asleep for 15 or 20 minutes, you know, and as long as when my mom calls, when my, or my for him, my wife calls, and they get up and they're there, I don't really care what happens as long as they're attending to my wife's needs when she needs it. But if they're passed out and they're all horizontal on the on the couch and they don't wake up for two hours, well, then we have a problem. Exactly. So I think, you know, when you're going into somebody's home, um, there is there can be that flexibility there. But it's also good if your expectation is that that caregiver is going to be up for all 12 hours of the night or eight hours of the night or whatever that is, make that very clear. Um, because um, we walk all of the gamuts of, we, we've seen all the different situations and what's allowed and what's not allowed inside a family's home. Wouldn't you say, Janet? Absolutely. So that's just something that I kind of like to put a, um, a, a kind of asterisk next to like hey you know there's there's the rule books of life and then there's the real world rules and you know not everything goes and fits perfectly into the black and white rule book that we have things um, can happen so that's something to, to look at and that's where real communication comes in of truly understanding what the needs of that client are absolutely and and that's why i say it's good to talk with the the um, the agency about that because we've had it where people have said I don't have a problem if they doze throughout the night as long as and we'll relay that to the caregiver mm-hmm. and we'll also relay to the caregiver it is expected that you are awake at all all times and you have to be awake and then we'll check on that so um, those are some of the things one of the other things I just wanted to mention with hourly it's a very cool tool that I think is worthwhile and probably underutilized um, is something called the Genworth um, long term care 
uh, study. And basically, if you go into Google and you type in Genworth long-term care study and the most recent full year, meaning that this year is 2018, so the most recent study was done in 2017, you can then look up what the cost of home care is, not only in your state, but the region of your state. So in Massachusetts, where we're located, the cost of home care is higher when you're in the Boston area in the Boston suburbs than it is when you're in the western suburbs where the cost of living is lower. And obviously in bigger states like Texas and Colorado and Florida and California, you're going to have huge discrepancies of the cost of living in those different states. So if you're interested in learning about hourly care, type in Genworth Long-Term Care Study and you'll be able to look up what the approximate amount of money it costs to get private home care in your area. So just something... That's food for thought. Yep. So the next one we're going to talk about, the, where there are only two main ones that we felt were, um, you know, worthwhile diving into, um, is living care. And living care is great. It's it's a it's a really big win win um, with with clients as long as you fit into the right parameters. And how about you get into that, Janet? Yeah, I mean, with with a live-in, you've got a caregiver that is. Spending time more than even a family often does with the client. It's usually a client who lives alone. Um, and you have to have, you could send Mary Poppins, as I like to say, but there's got to be good chemistry. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, they have to, to, to work well together. And it's not just doing the tasks of the personal care or whatever, but it's to have the right person. Is it a talkative person? Is it a quiet person? Is it someone that needs to be engaged? Is it someone that likes to just watch their game shows and not be bothered. You have to kind of have a sense of, of all of that. And uh, there's also the issue of, uh, you know, caregivers that uh, the seven-day versus 4-3 splits and all the rest of that, which you can probably speak best to how that all works. Um, but living can be a, a real advantage, especially if there's someone that has some confusion or is shy or something like that, because you're um, you've got fewer caregivers Absolutely. in the home, so they get to develop a better relationship. Absolutely, and you know, one of our previous podcasts, one of the things we mentioned, you know, we get a, a, a very common calls about is is dementia, or even if it's not the primary reason we're getting a call, memory is a secondary reason that we're getting a call, and to speak to what you said with uh, the the more consistency of caregivers, when you get twenty four hour hourly care with the service we're talking about before, where somebody's up during the night and during the day. Um, that usually takes a minimum of seven caregivers and sometimes up to nine caregivers in a week to get that filled. It takes a lot of people. That's a lot of different faces. And for somebody that has dementia or for somebody that doesn't have dementia, a lot of names to remember and a lot of new faces to remember and things like that. With a live-in care, you're going to generally, depending on the agency, you're either going to have you know one caregiver seven days a week for possibly weeks or months on end, or you might do something that we like to do, which is uh, have it be a 4-3 split. And the reason why we like 4-3 splits with live-ins is because um, a few different reasons. One, 
Uh, you have the consistency of a caregiver, but you also have a backup. You don't want to be putting all your eggs in one basket. Um, in our experience, on a long enough timeline, everybody, including our caregivers, has some type of emergency in their life, whether that's a minor emergency or whether that's a major emergency. And when those emergencies do happen, we get the call that they are no longer going to be on the case for a few days, a few weeks, or a few months, or right. never again. Um, for whatever reason, that when that not for whatever reason when that does happen, it's it's the family's freaking out. We're kind of freaking out because the family's freaking out because it's like <laughs> who's going to care for mom and dad? You know, you know, mom mom has known this person for months, if not years. What's going to happen? Da da da. Well, when you have another caregiver there, they can kind of just slide right in. Additionally, when you're not dealing with emergencies, but you're dealing with day-to-day -day life activities, getting the car oil changed, getting, you know, going to your daughter's recital or whatever those family commitments are, when you split it with a 4-3 split, it makes it so much easier to work around those things versus a seven-day liver, liver, live-in is almost expected like you're going to miss a lot of these events. And I think that has a tendency to cause a quicker burnout with these mm -hmm. caregivers that do seven days a week. What do you think, Janet? Yeah, I think, and, and I think you explained that well. And the idea that having two different people also, it's that minor interruption or that minor shift that occurs on a regular basis yeah. that makes it easier than if all of a sudden someone's going out of town and the caregiver and the client haven't been separated in two years. You know, you get uh, those kind of issues that can come up, which can really be a problem. Um, yeah, they're too dependent. They're too exactly. the client is too codependent on one another, and and that's even happened before in the past where it's it's been difficult on both ends of it. Like the caregiver can get a little too comfortable in the case as well and feel that they're no longer an employee but a family member, and though they are a family member as close as what an outsider could be, at the end of the day, they're not a family member. They're being paid to be there. Um, yeah. And even in terms of sharing and communicating information, it's just like you take a certain way that you drive home every night and you don't even think about it. You get there. Um, if you were telling me how to get to where you live the first time, there would be instructions. I would follow those. I wouldn't make the assumptions that this is a sharp turn, this is a whatever. And if you get a caregiver that is one-on-one -on -one and nobody else is really working with that client... They get into a routine, and in terms of um, being able to um, look at certain things, or not, I mean, they notice any kind of declines or changes, but not the same way. Or if someone is going to cover because they're going to go on vacation, oh, I forgot to tell her, she likes to put mustard on her hot dog and not this. You know, but when you have a little bit of a break and you have that communication, you get much better passage of information. I agree. And and to speak a little bit about live-ins on kind of the business side of it all, like, you know, I said we think it's really beneficial, but what about the costs of this and whatnot? So the way that this works is that, you know, when, when we get a live-in case, when, when you get a live-in case, there's the assumption, and I think it's a fair assumption, that if somebody's calling us up looking for live-in, they're looking for a long period of time. They're not looking for a weekend or even a week of care. They're generally looking for months, if not years, of, of care. And that's kind of a, 
there's no, there's, but don't get me wrong. There's no guarantees. There's no, there's no, you know, sign on the dotted line that you have to use this for 12 weeks or whatever it is. Right. But it's just like people aren't going to go to the hassle to interviewing and, and going through the live-in care services if they're not looking for it for a longer period of time. And when you're dealing with living care, there's that, that kind of um, agreement that this is more than likely going to be an ongoing case you're getting a bit more of a bulk discount. The caregiver is willing to have a lower rate to go and get that um, that case because they know there's going to be stability and longevity there. And in turn, the number one thing that increases or decreases our cost is our caregiver's uh, salary or caregiver's you know compensation. We can lower our rates because we're lowering, we're able to lower the rates on the caregiver. So the benefit with a live-in is that it's usually uh, a lot lower of a cost than what 24 hours of hourly care would be. So that's kind of the trade-off with it, that you're getting that continuity, you're getting uh, the caregivers at a lower reduced cost, but the expectation is that the case is going to be going on for a longer period of time. Let me put the phone on Do Not Disturb. <laughs> Yeah, and, yet, this. and they are usually a longer time, but there are situations where maybe it's a one-week respite sure. or something like that. But yeah, to your point, it's it's usually something that is more than a week. So so to be qualified to have, so you're, there are probably people out there like, well, why wouldn't anybody just get living care over paying the, the expensive costs of 24-hourly care? Well, there are two big caveats that come with, with living care. One, the caregiver needs to have their own private bedroom. No sleeping on couches, no pullouts, no air beds. They need their own private room in that house that is equipped with a TV. They also have to have access to a bathroom. Um, doesn't need to be a private bathroom, but it all needs to be clean. It needs to be upkept. You are having, basically, you are having a live-in guest. They're going to be eating your food, using your electricity, sleeping in your bed, watching your TV, and using your shower. Um, the other caveat to that, and I can explain, you can explain it, Janet, just so I don't ramble on, is the amount of sleep that they get. Well, caregivers are, the, the understanding is that on a live-in, that they should be able to get an eight-hour period of time that they can sleep or just stretch out on their bed and read or whatever they're going to do. Now, reality always sets in and maybe somebody has to get up to use the bathroom once at night and there's always those rare occasions and that's fine. But if they're, if that caregiver is having to get up every night to take someone to the bathroom or multiple times every night and they are not getting that amount of sleep, then that becomes an issue. And we have to look out for the care and well-being of our, our staff, just like the labor laws do. And if someone gets up once and they're up for a half an hour, an hour, um, they that then becomes awake working time. Yes. So they would be reimbursed for that time that they're up. But if there's a pattern of being up that interferes with that night's sleep, then you're looking at the conversation of whether that's truly a living. Absolutely. So the general rule of thumb is that the caregiver needs to be able to sleep throughout the night. And and like Janet said, if it's a one-off um, one time, and granted, now we're kind of being a little bit more nitpicky because that's a state labor law that we're talking about, which is in Massachusetts, if a caregiver wakes up in the middle of the night and provides care to the uh, the client, they not only should report that and get reimbursed for that, but then we obviously have to charge the client for that. But, you know, when that happens once in a great while, you know, most families are understanding, hey, that's the law, that's what we got to do, we're following the laws. 
Um, but the benefit is, is if there is that emergency, somebody's there. Right. So, you know, obviously if somebody gets up in the middle of the night, but, you know, hey, this caregiver can sleep, they can handle getting a glass of water on their own, but they trip and fall and you hear the crash and they pop their head and they're bleeding everywhere, the family's not finding out five hours, six hours, eight hours later, the caregiver hears it, comes downstairs and can call 911 and deal with the situation immediately. So while you're not getting 24 hours around the clock hands-on care, you have somebody in the home that's there at a moment's notice if something goes wrong, and obviously you get charged for it as the client, but at that point in time during an emergency, people aren't too worried about the money. They're just happy that their parent is safe. Um, so that's kind of one of the the, the benefits of living. It's by far the, the best bang that you get for the buck. So that's kind of the differences between the two of them. And I would always recommend if you are looking at... I mean, it all depends on the cost, but generally our, our rule of thumb, if, you, if you're looking at, you know, you're getting into that 12-hour range, you're looking for 12 hours of care a day, or, you know, even if it's maybe a little lower, like 10, you might want to look at living care because the difference in cost is negligible compared to the amount of care that you're going to be getting. And so it's worthwhile at least exploring that option. It might not work out. It may work out, but it's just something to always think about. Yeah, and the one other thing that I'd like to mention going back to the hourly side of it is it's a lot of times it's hard to be realistic about how much time is needed, especially when someone they wants to, uh, you know, it's an expensive proposition. Everyone is, is well aware of that. But um, to say like a four-hour shift, well, we think we only need someone for an hour and a half to two hours is a common thing that people will say to us. And understandably they're watching their pennies but at the same time we have to take a fair look at the client for the client's sake because there are some people you know we get up and get dressed in the morning and go to work and we can probably do that in x amount of time we have a number of our clients that you know it's going to take them 20 minutes to get down the hall and, uh, you know, if they've got an appointment somewhere and, and you have to work with things and know that you've got to get them dressed first because it, they are just going to take forever to eat their cereal and to tell someone, well, no, let me just get you dressed. You know, I know you can do it yourself, but we're in a hurry. You're taking away that person's independence. Yeah. They should do what they can do for themselves. But we got to be realistic in terms of the, um, the time it takes for someone to go through their daily routine. Yeah, that, that's a very good point because somebody and and family members can be a lot more crass to one another than <laughs> a a home health aide should be. Because, you know, again, then all of a sudden we're not being professional if we're rushing somebody through breakfast to get them. Um, now, don't get me wrong, the other side of that coin is we're not saying slow down That's and right. eat your, your That's breakfast right. even slower so that we can tack on more time. I mean, that's not the goal of things because, you know, with the short hour cases, um, our goal is to do a good job. And then the word of mouth of the good job we did circulates through the community. And our hope is that, you know, that word of mouth referral occurs. So we want exactly. to do a good job with those short hour cases just as much as we do with the, the longer cases. But absolutely, you, you know, 
I, I, you can't just assume that everybody's moving at the same speed you're moving at. It takes time. Yeah, and a good caregiver knows where they can expedite things, and they can multitask in doing a meal prep, but someone is going to eat and chew at the rate they're going to eat and chew. Or when we hear a complaint or a concern that I'm being told what to do or things are in a rush, um, that can sometimes be because the task list, we could do it in that amount of time and have time to spare. The client doesn't see it that way. So that's where we have to work closely with families just to be realistic. Absolutely. Well, excellent. Well, thank you very much, Shannon, for your input. We said that this was going to be a fast podcast. It ended up being one of the longest ones we've done at 23 <laughs> minutes. So when we, when we came out here, I went out to, to Janet and I said, Janet, we, just, we need six minutes. This is going to be fast. We're just Here's going over two things and where it ends up being 20 minutes long. So anyways, Here's a perfect example. We're, we're, it took longer to do the chore than we thought. <laughs> absolutely. Look at you think you think that we just set that up? Um, excellent, excellent. So, um, anyways, thank you very much for listening to our rambling on about the two types of services we provide. Uh, this is the Caregivers Toolbox. My name is Ryan McAniff. I'm here with Janet, and we are here to educate you and give you information on senior care topics. You have yourself a good day. We'll catch you on the next rambling on podcast. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs>